Welcome to New Life. Glad you guys could be here today. My name is Jeff Baker. I am one of the pastors on staff. I want to say hello to all of you that might be worshiping with us here in our main auditorium. There's also a large group of people worshiping with us in the venue. Uh, that's another auditorium that we have. And then there's also the whole church that's out in North Platte. So I want to say hello to all those guys out there as well. Yeah. Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Christmas to all of you. One church, multiple locations, all worshiping at the exact same time. It's, it's really kind of exciting. Three worship teams in three different locations. One message, Sunday before Christmas. Here we are. What a fantastic, uh, fantastic day. Do you feel like me, like the year has just kind of, whoosh, it's gone? <clears throat> Where did it go? I still have to buy Christmas gifts. So, hope there's a lot of, hope there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, I gotta, I gotta figure out, man. I gotta. I'm not very good at buying Christmas gifts, so I gotta get, I gotta get better at that. Hey, um, I know we've been going through a lot of different things this year, and this year has gone by extremely fast. I want to take a moment and project for you into 2015. Yes, 2015 is like quickly coming. We're gonna start a brand new teaching series called Essentials. It's happening the first Sunday of January. Listen to this. It's a 20-week-long sermon series. Now, I know this church, right? And I know many of you, there's not very many of us, all right, that will actually attend all 20 weeks for one reason or another. So what you need to know is that the 20 weeks are broken down into four actual smaller teaching series. All right, but it's all called essentials. Why essentials? Because we want to take you through the top 100 experiences of the Bible. We want to basically, as a staff, we, we feel the Spirit of God really challenging us to eradicate, to the best of our ability, biblical illiteracy. And we want to take the first 20 weeks of the year to really kick that off. So what I want you to do is, after this, after this um, uh, teaching today, I want you to find your way out into the lobby here, down in the venue, and in North Platte, and pick up one of the Essential Challenge Guides. The Essential Challenge Guide is going to have the Bible readings in it. It's going to have 100 different Bible readings in it. They have a simple little prayer to pray beforehand. They've got the scripture. Then they've got some reflection questions to help you really figure out, you know, what is God saying to you through that passage. And then also has some application thoughts of how you can apply it to your life. And then a simple little closing prayer. You'll also get with this book the Life Group Material. A lot of our life groups are going to be essential life groups. They're going to be sermon-based life groups. They're going to be discussing the very same things that we're preaching on. So um, you're going to want to have one of these guides. We will not be giving you in your bulletin sermon notes, and you will not be getting digging, digging deeper notes not for the first 20 weeks of the year because you're going to need one of these books. And I, wanna, I also want to challenge you to invest into your own spiritual journey. These books are not free. They cost $8. But think of the $8 over 20 weeks investing into your spiritual life. How many cents does that come down to per day? So you'll be reading Monday through Friday the top 100 stories of the Bible and applying it to your life. Um, now to go along with that, we have the Walk Through the Bible event coming up on January 17th. All of this coincides together to really fuel you and to engage you in God's Word in such a way that God's Word can become a foundation in your heart. Not just something that you know about, not something that collects dust on your nightstand, not something where you can quote just a, a couple of verses, but really get God's word in your heart. I believe it's going to radically 
transform you, your friends, and your family. So get a bunch of people with you. Let's start a journey, and let's go on it together. All right? Now, have you guys ever had one of those beginning of the year resolutions where you're like, We're, I'm going to get in fit this year. Right? I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. And then it never happened. <laughs> Am I the only one? Seriously? All right. So others of you, I'm sure everyone in the gym has done it. I'm pretty positive. We've all made resolutions, right, and didn't keep with it. You want to know one of the big reasons why you don't keep with it? It's not because it's totally unrealistic. It's typically because you don't have anybody else doing it with you. Well, this year, why don't you go on a 20-year challenge with me that I think is going to radically transform your eternity. Yeah, did you hear what I said at the end of it? It's radically going to transform your eternity. So who cares if I said 20 years or 20 days? Right? Or I said 20 weeks, which is what I meant to say. (laughs) Nevertheless, it's still going to radically transform your eternity. That was my punchline. It was going to hold true regardless of what I said. So it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. Make sure you go out into the lobbies and um, get yourself one of those books. And get yourself and your family signed up for the best Christmas gift you can give your guys, uh, yourselves this year. Uh, essentials and walk through the Bible. Well, today I want to talk to you about God's holiness. I'm just going to be forthright with you today. I'm going to tell you today is not one of those feel-good sermons. It's not one of those moments where you're like, it's the, it's the Sunday before Christmas. Can't we just have one of those fluffy sermons where we just, you know, it's like unpacking a gift and we walk out of here and it's just... It just is really, really good. I wanted to come to you today and, you know, just challenge you to the core that God is holy. And we're going to drill at that for a little while. And help, hopefully when you walk out of this place, you're going to understand why God's holy and how important it is that God is holy. And how that will radically transform your life by knowing that God's holy and then living your life based on that. So to get started today, let's, uh, let's dig in with just a couple of quick concepts that are probably in most homes. Does your home have the five-second rule when it comes to food that hits the ground. Does anybody have a five-second rule in your house? How many, how many of you guys couldn't stand even one second? All right, you're with me. You are with me. Even one second. Like, it even looks like it hit the ground, and I'm not in, right? Now, I've been to some people's homes, and they've joked about the five-minute rule, and I'm like, what? There's a five-minute rule? I hope that five minutes ago, you didn't drop whatever it is in this soup on the floor, and then put it back in the soup, right? That would be disgusting. But I can see, and you know what? I'm just going to be up front with you. The five-second rule is not inside of my house, but it's definitely with me when I'm camping or backpacking. Especially when you're backpacking, you only have a limited amount of, of uh, food anyways. If something hits the ground, you pick it back up and you know, stick it back in your bag um, before the ants get it or whatever. Um, but could you imagine the five-second rule working in the best, nicest restaurant you've ever been at before? Where the waiter's walking up to your table and he's carrying, you know, a tray with bread rolls on it. And then one falls off the ground, onto the ground. And he reaches down and he picks it up and he puts it back and he puts it on your, on your table. And he goes, oh, it's a five-second rule. I mean, would you be like me and just go, I'm out of here. There's no five-second rule at the restaurant, right? You would look at him and go, you just ruined my meal. Ruined my meal. Because five seconds. Have you ever, uh, if you've had kids, and especially grandchildren, it seems like this is more predominant with grandchildren than with, with kids. But if you, do you let your kids or your grandchildren drink out of your cup while eating? That's disgusting. 
I know some of you do it. One of them is my wife. It's, it's, I, if my grandchild or one of my kids needed a drink, I just raise my hand and go, waiter, waitress, can I get another cup for this kid? Because this kid's not drinking out of my cup. You know what happens when the kid drinks out of your cup? The kid has no filter, you know? All the little food particles that are in there are now, what, in your cup, and they become floaties. <laughs> what do you do with floaties? Are you a person that just goes ahead and you drink it anyways because you're like, oh, they're so cute and innocent, it doesn't even matter. Look at those chubby cheeks. Are you one of those people that just drinks it anyways? Or are you a scooper? Do you like scoop it out and then you, and then you drink it? Which one, which one are you? You're like me, probably, right? You're just like, get a new cup. Or actually, that cup is now yours, kid, and I will get a new cup, right? You can drink your own floaties. But let me just tell you this. Never, 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 right? I don't care how cute the kid is. Never let the kid drink out of your cup if it's with a straw while they're eating. That is disgusting. Because then all those food particles, because they go... And then, the, and then it sucks it right back out of their mouth, all the wash back. It goes right down into the bottom of your cup. And that's worse than, than, uh, than floaties. Those are sinkies. And sinkies are bad. <laughs> I'm just telling you, sinkies are bad. Because either you're, you're sucking up with your own straw now, and then something slams into the back of your esophagus. And by then it's too late. It's going down. You can't stop it. Or you get down to the bottom of the cup and stuck in your ice is these sinkies. That's disgusting. <laughs> One sip out of the mouth of an innocent little two or three-year-old. Innocent is used, you know, loosely. Um, it could ruin your drink. That'll ruin your drink, won't it? That's one thing for your meal to get ruined because of the five-second rule or your drink to get ruined. I mean, those are all replaceable. But what if God, what if God got ruined, and God was no longer holy. What if, just think with me for a moment, don't yell out blasphemy just yet. What if God got blemished, and God was no longer holy? What if God was 99% pure and 1% sin? What if that was God? Would that radically transform your life? Would that radically change you? What if God called the five-second rule? And he's like, I know I got five seconds of sin in my life. But hey, don't worry about it. I I am, I'm forever was, I am, and I forever be. Five seconds in the midst of eternity is nothing. So five seconds, don't even worry about it. So what if God had five seconds worth of sin in his life? Would it change you? It would change everything. You know what it would start to change? It would instantly change the fact that Jesus would no longer be a worthy sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. Because he would now be sin. That God's motives could never be trusted again because he has sin in his heart. That God's authority would be tarnished forever, sitting there waiting to be dethroned by some deity that would come claiming holiness, perfection, without sin. That God's promises could never be counted on again. And that God's love would never be pure towards you again. The good news today is that is not God. And Christmas is a moment of time that comes around every single year that helps to remind us that God is 100% perfect. He is 
innocent, and he is a holy God. That, the, that God, he may have come in the form of a baby, but a baby displayed his perfection. Have you ever had the ability to hold a brand new baby? If you're a mom here, you have, right? If you're a dad and you didn't pass out into the, in the delivery room, you had an opportunity to hold that baby. I got to hold all four of my children. And there is something amazingly special about holding that baby right out of the womb with all of its perfection, all of its detail. The nose so perfectly placed. The eyes so brilliant and alive. The fingers so dainty but yet perfect. Every piece just in its right place. Even with the fingerprint already built in. And the cuticles, the nails, the little toes, the little fingers, the little arms. So cute, so precious, so innocent. Isn't it amazing that God delivers himself incarnate, God in flesh, to humanity in the form of a baby? A baby is viewed as perfect. A baby is viewed as innocent. A baby is seen, you know, without fault and without blemish. A baby hasn't done any action to harm anyone. A baby doesn't have any attitude inside of them to defile anyone. A baby comes as holy as humanly holy can be. And God comes in the form of a baby. You know what I, you know what I see in Christmas? You know what I believe that the Bible is projecting to us in Christmas? It's projecting to us the character and the nature of a holy, perfect, pure God. And he comes in the form, the most precious, the most perfect thing that we as humans even know. The innocence and the perfection of a little baby. This Christmas, God's wanting to project his holiness into your heart. He's wanting to project that he's perfect, that he's without fault, that he is without blemish. You know what that means? That means our God, Jesus, he is perfect in every way. That Jesus can be trusted. That Jesus has complete authority. That Jesus makes promises that no one can break. That Jesus loves you with a pure love that no one can even take away from you. Why? How? I've already given it away a thousand times. Because God is holy. God's perfect in every way. God is matchless. No one can compare to him. And God is without sin, not even five seconds worth, not even one percent. God is without sin, which makes him holy. And right now in heaven, the angels, they declare and they proclaim. In Revelation chapter 4, we hear that they sing songs like this, holy, holy, holy. One holy wasn't enough. (laughs) Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. This is the hope that we cherish today. Let Christmas remind you as well about a holy God who was and is and still to come. He is coming back for his church. And he's coming back for a church that recognizes that he's holy and lives their lives righteous before him. And so today I want you to desperately understand the holiness of God. I I want you to get it somehow into your spirit, into your heart, that you walk out of here with a fresh understanding of who God is really is this Christmas. And to do that, I want to use one chapter out of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, just to keep us synchronized 
to keep you locked in. So if you brought your Bible with you, open up to Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got your smartphone with you, go to uh, Uversion and search for New Life Carney, and you'll see all the scripture right there, right? Or otherwise, just use your phone and pull up one of the, one of the 40 Bibles that you can open up with your smartphone. As we go into Hebrews chapter 10, the very first thing that stands out is the fact that God's holiness is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It's, it's matchless. It's extraordinary. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. It says, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy, by the way, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy, also can be translated here, grace, to us. There's a few things that I want to drive home while we leave that scripture up. That God's holiness is extraordinary. First thing that you've got to get into your heart is that God's holiness isn't common. That there is nothing else in this universe that is holy like God. Nothing. No one. No one who has ever been. No one who calls their name by Muhammad. No one who calls their name, you know, by, um, uh, by Gandhi. No one who calls their name by Buddha. No one in our past has been holy. No man will ever be holy in the sense of perfect. God is holy. He is perfect and he's matchless and it's extraordinary. You don't find holiness anywhere else other than with God through Christ. Nowhere. Another thing that stands out is that God's holiness is pure. Look what the people did. The people were making it common and unholy. And you need to know today that God's holiness is pure. His holiness doesn't allow him to be defiled by sin. That's why Jesus is perfect, because Jesus came and he is God. And he cannot be defiled. He will not be defiled. If he's defiled by sin, there is no holy God. And everything that we know today crumbles around us. Life itself would be meaningless and worthless unless there is a holy God. And God's love towards us is unblemished because of his holiness. That's right. You might feel like you're going through a difficult time. You might feel like God's turned his back on you. But what you need to know today is because God's holy, his love for you is unblemished. You and me, our love for others is not unblemished. Our love manipulates. Our love seeks after selfish gain. Oh, we, we do love others, yes. And we, we have some folks in our lives that we, we do love with a, uh, a love that would just give our hearts for them. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing. That's, that's incredible here on this earth to be able to love someone in that manner. But a lot of the times our love is sinful, not God's love. God's love for you is, it's unblemished. There isn't anything unperfect about it. That doesn't mean that God's going to rescue you from your difficult moment, because God uses those difficult moments to teach us about him. It doesn't mean that God's going to answer every single one of your prayers, because God's not a spoiler. God's not an enabler. But what you need to know is that because of God's holiness, his love for you is unblemished. And that it's through the Holy Spirit that we experience God's extraordinary grace. Look, they have insulted and disdained, but watch this, the Holy Spirit who does what? 
who brings God's mercy slash grace to us. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Unveiling, showing. He's bringing the power of God's holiness through mercy and grace to our lives. So what did it say on the, on the slide that was before that? It says, don't trample on Jesus. You know what it means to trample on Jesus? In verse 29 there, don't trample on the Son of God. You know what it means to trample on Jesus? It means to neglect, to neglect him, right? Or, or even to reject him. Neglect or reject. We're like, well, man, I, I don't trample upon Jesus. I don't neglect him. I don't reject him. Yeah, but look, when, when you bring him and his holiness to something that's common, when you bring his holiness to something that's common, then you are trampling upon him. You are neglecting his power and his authority. When you think that our lives are just going to be able to live you know, however we want to, by our own human rules, and there is no price to be paid in the end, you're making God more common than you think. And that's us trampling on him. It also said in that, in that verse, it said, don't treat the blood covenant. The blood covenant is Jesus. Don't treat that as if it's powerless. The blood covenant is Jesus giving his life on the cross for us so that our sins might be forgiven and set free from. Don't treat the blood covenant as, as if it is powerless. That means don't live your lives thinking that there's sin inside of you that Jesus can't overcome or conquer. Don't fall to that cultural lie that, well, this is just as good as I'm going to get, so God, you're just going to have to accept me in this manner. No, the blood of Christ, the blood covenant of Christ has paid the price for our sins. Trust him to eradicate sin from our hearts and from our lives. Oh, sin's going to keep coming. Sin's going to keep charging like a bull charging at you. It's never going to stop its pursuit of you until the day we stand in the presence of the holy God in a holy heaven. But it doesn't mean that we should, we should live with. It doesn't mean that we should li- literally insult God's holiness by just living with our sin as if that's as good as it gets. No, don't look at the blood covenant of Christ as powerless. Look at it as holy as it is. He has the ability not only to cover the sins of our past, but he has the power through the Holy Spirit to help us overcome the sins of our current. And that's what God's calling you and me to live in light of a holy God. Don't forget. Don't forget that God's holiness is extraordinary. It's not common. See, there's a lot of things in our world that once used to be extraordinary, but now they're common. Think back with me about 30 years ago and try to explain to someone about a smartphone. That would have been extraordinary, wouldn't it? And now it's just common, isn't it? How many of you guys have one? A lot of you? Okay, our cell phone, anything like that. I mean, just try to explain that. And they're like, how do I walk around with this big thing that you got to dial like this? You know? You remember those, right? Where you got your finger caught in it every once in a while? How can I take that and walk around with it? It makes no sense. But now it's just become common. Think about, when, think about travel before an airplane. Try to explain to someone that in a few hours you can get from Los Angeles to New York. Or in a few hours you can get from New York to London. Or within a day, you can get from Kearney, Nebraska, all the way to Jerusalem in Israel. Think about that. 
and just tell somebody that before the airplane came out. And they would have gone, wow, that's extraordinary. And now we go, that's common. And in fact, they're taking too much leg room away from me. Now we even complain, right? Where before, it's not about leg room. It's about days and weeks to get to someplace. But the extraordinary became common. How many of you guys have done some of your holiday shopping online? Any holiday online shoppers here? Not very excited about it, okay. I mean, I, it's hard to imagine shopping without online now. You know, to at least be able to go online and compare prices. I mean, that's cool by itself, but to even go to Amazon and maybe buy something for less than what you could buy it someplace else, that's fantastic. It's hard to almost imagine shopping without using some online features. And if you don't know what online is, ask the youngest person around you. All right? But it's hard, and that thing used to be extraordinary, and now it's becoming the common. And the list goes on and on and on. Here's, here's my point. Don't put God in that box. All those other things are man-made. God is still extraordinary in 2014, and he'll be extraordinary in 20, you know, in 3,000. He'll be extraordinary in however long he decides to wait before he comes back. God will still be extraordinary because he's holy. Nothing else is holy. He's not common. You know, God's holiness is pure and it's perfect. All these other things. One day, our great, 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 great grandchildren will, they will laugh at us. I can't believe those people used to travel by airplanes. Can you believe that? Can you believe the fact that those people had to carry around those big old cell phones? Yeah, I can't believe they had to carry around those big things. They'll go to a museum and they'll see things like this. God won't be like that. You're not going to find God in some museum someplace where he used to be extraordinary. Now he's become common. Oh, the unfortunate thing, though, is that it's happening in our hearts. That's why today I, I longed and desired to bring to you a message that was more like a present that you could just unwrap and we would all be happy and joyful and laughing. But I just couldn't get away from the fact that Christmas is reminding us of the holiness of God and how we as a culture and we as a generation, we must embrace his holiness. So how can you increase your value of the holiness of God? Never lose your awe of God. Never lose your awe of God. Always be in awe of him. How can you gain a greater sense of the awe of God? Put a greater value on God in everything that you do and you see. This Christmas season, you might be traveling. If you're traveling and you're driving west, you're going to head through some mountains. And when you look at those mountains, I want you to be reminded that those mountains are in the, are, were created out of the holiness and the righteousness of God, that you should be in awe of what God's created. By the way, God looks at them and he goes, that's beautiful. And it's perfect, just the way it is. And when you look at it, I, I don't want you to see just some rock sticking up out of the ground. I want you to see that God created it, and I want you to give you know, praise to God for that. When you're driving, you drive by some beautiful lake heading some other location. And you look out at that lake and you just see, you know, how incredible it is. And you turn to someone and go, look how beautiful that lake is. I want you in your heart to go, God, look how beautiful you made that lake. I'm in awe of you. Who else could do that? Who else could pull that off? When you're on vacation over the holidays and you're up early drinking a cup of coffee and you start to see the sunrise. 
because all the other mornings you've been working, getting ready to go to work. And you sit there in the, in the cup, and you got your Bible in front of you, and the sun begins to rise. I don't want you just to stare at it and go, wow, isn't that beautiful? I want you to stare at it, and I want you to be captivated with an awe of God that says, God, look how amazing that sunrise is. And the next time you see a sunset, look at the sunset and go, God, look how amazing you make the sky look with the sun that's ferocious that you created. Let things like that, let the blessings of God be moments where, you know, your, your life is blessed. Things are going well at this moment. And don't just take it for granted, but thank God for it. Turn your heart towards him and praise him for how good things are. Praise him when challenging times come as well, though. Knowing that God's the one who leads us through those moments. Out of his holiness, he knows what's best. And he leads us through those moments that our hearts might be turned over to him. Live with awe. How else can you do that? Just sheerly being thankful. Just from the depth of your heart, thankful for all the things that God's blessed you with. All the things that you are. All the things that, you, that you've become. All the things that God's doing in and through you. Just by sheerly thanking him. Turning your attention to him. Thank him for your finances. That's one thing in America we need to do a way better job of doing. Thanking God for our finances. You can do that by giving him an offering. You do that by tithing. But you also do that out of your heart by just praising him for everything that he's blessed you with that way. Thanking him. Thanking him from the depth of your heart. Why? Because when you lose the awe of God, listen carefully, then you begin to treat God as common. And when you begin to treat God as common, then you begin to insult God. Just like verse 29 said. And when the people, when the people trampled on the Son of God, and they looked at the holiness of God as something that was common and unholy, that they began to insult and disdain the Holy Spirit, who was given to us to provide the grace of God. Hebrews 10, 29. Remember that it says they insulted and they disdained the Holy Spirit. That happens when, that happens when, we, when we lose the awe of God. That's when God becomes common and we start insulting him unintentionally many times. But that's where we end up, a very place we're not wanting to go. Why? Because we lost the awe of the holiness of God. And there are many that are around us that are insulting God's holiness by rejecting him as God. Trampling upon him. By attempting to lower God down to our human level. In our culture today, we've got, a, we've got a misbelief and a lie that says somehow you can live good enough to be like God. That's the lie that's straight from the enemy's lips that happened in the garden. That's like the first temptation of man, that somehow you could become like God. You could think like God, and you could know like God. And I'm telling you today, you aren't God. God's holy. He is, he's extraordinary, and it's not common. He stands alone. He sits on the throne all by himself, and no one, none of us in this room are going to get close to that. Not, don't, don't insult God by trying to bring him down to your level. Don't insult God. We insult him when we try to, you know, live a sinful lifestyle knowing that there's grace. When you know that the actions of our lives go against his word, but we choose to do it anyways, that's insulting God because you've lost the awe of God and you've lost the holiness of God. And you're walking down a dangerous path. When we neglect our time with God as if we don't need his guidance for that day. That's because we've lost the awe of God. 
We've, we've brought God to be common, and we're insulting God because we are choosing to not seek his guidance, to not seek his wisdom. When the Bible grows with dust on it because of its words of truth that we feel like aren't relevant for our lives today, or we don't have time for it, that becomes a moment where we've lost the awe of God. we brought God down to something that's common, and we don't, we don't really in, seek his word any longer, and we're insulting we're insulting the Word of God. That's why the first 20 weeks of the year, eradicate biblical illiteracy, but increase the awe of God so that the holiness of God stands alone and we seek Him with everything inside of our hearts, with a hunger, with a desire for Him to lead and guide us. And let me just tell you today, if we don't change our ways, if we don't come back to an awe of God, if we don't come back to God's not common, God stands alone, He's holy, He's righteous, and I need to figure out how to live my life by it, then this is what we will discover. My second point today out of Hebrews chapter 10, that God's holiness is terrifying. Now, before you get up and you walk out of here, let's look at the scripture first, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27 says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. God's holiness is terrifying. Now, I realize that this kind of a point is radically different than the grace that you typically hear us preach about. I know that. But what you need to know about the holiness of God is that God's holiness, that God is just. And God's justice points to God's holiness. God's holiness demands justice for our sins. And there's a severe penalty for our sin that is done deliberately and willfully in the face of a knowledge of God and his word. This isn't the kind of sin that's normal. That's the course, the normal course of action that we stumble our way into. I'm talking about the sin that's deliberate, about the sin that's premeditated. The sin that we know that we're doing in the face of a holy God. That's the sin that we're talking about here. And without a penalty... For that sin, there would be no holiness from a just God. There has to be a penalty for that. I mean, to think about a judge. A judge is hearing a case on murder, and all the evidence, 100% of the evidence that's brought before the judge, you know, convicts the murderer. There isn't one stitch, there isn't even five seconds worth of material that's brought to maybe, you know, set the man free. It's all pointing to the fact he's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty. But the judge in the end of the whole trial comes down with his ruling, and down comes his gavel on the wood block, crack. And he goes, this man is innocent. What would happen? There'd be an uproar, wouldn't there? The, the judge would have no more authority. The judge would have no more integrity. The judge would be seen as a man without honor, and he would be given no respect. Well, that's just like God. God's holiness demands a just punishment for our sins. That's what brings the integrity of God. That's what brings the holiness, the honor, the respect. That's what brings those pieces because God says there is a penalty for your sin and there is no way for you to get around it except for one. And that's through Christ. I think you've all experienced some kind of a just punishment in your life. Have you not? You received a just punishment at some point in your life? I remember one of the first moments that I recognized just, just punishment. That was in third grade. 
third grade, I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, I had a teacher. It's the only teacher's name I remember, Mrs. Good. And, and she wasn't really that good. I mean, when, when it, I mean with, with our relationship. But I, it's crazy that that's the only teacher's name that I remember, and I remember her. And um, this, this classroom was not a good place for me. This was a place where I got myself in a lot of trouble. Um, I, me and the principal began to know each other by name. Not proud of that, but knowing a little bit about me, you probably would guess that. Um, kind of makes me who I am back in third grade. And I was getting a lot of trouble. My parents were having opportunities to come and meet with the teacher and the principal, you know, at extra moments than just the, the normal teacher, you know, parent connections. So they, they got to be at the school more than they wanted to be. And uh, I started getting letters being sent home about my behavior. And I remember one day my dad sitting with me in the driveway. I'll never forget it. Um, sitting there in the driveway, in the car. And my dad looks at me and he says to me, Son, if one more letter comes home, one more report comes home from that school about your behavior in a negative way, I'm telling you, I'm promising you, look me in the eye, I'm promising you, you will get spanked. A couple weeks later... What do I get? Get a letter. Teacher puts it in my backpack. I head off for home. And on my way home, that letter mysteriously makes its way out of my backpack. <laughs> Don't know how it happened. But I remember praying the rest of that distance going, God, may there be like a tornado come through here. And may it rain like it's never rained before. May that letter be destroyed. But no, and the next morning I got called back to the principal's office because some goody two-shoes picked up the letter and took it back to the principal, of which now I'm standing there, and the principal tells me, if this letter doesn't go home, I will make sure it gets home by myself. So that letter was in my backpack. It got brought home. And that night, my dad and I had a great conversation, which he reminded me of two weeks before in the, in the driveway. I told you, if I get another letter, you're getting spanked, so you know what you're going to get. Yes, I got up, I walked into the bedroom, boom, got my spanking, never got another letter again. That's just punishment. I deserved it. I got it. He said it. He followed through. You need to know something about God. That's who God is. When God says it, he's following through. Why? Because he's holy. Not because he doesn't like you. Not because he has something against you. Because he's holy. And he says, this is the way to live. This is my word. And walk in it. Live in it. And if you don't, there is a punishment that's coming. So don't believe the lie of our culture. How could a loving God... How could a loving God punish people for their sin? How could a loving God send people to hell? Time out. God doesn't send people to hell. Your sin, your sin sends you to hell. It's the holiness of God that says heaven is a holy place. Draw a line at the gate. No sin shall enter. So if you think somehow, some way today, that you're going to live however you want to in the face of a holy God and walk into his presence, I've got bad news for you. It's not going to work that way. You don't get to live the way you want to and enjoy the holiness of God. You just don't get to. And it's a terrible thing to find yourself in a place where that's what you're believing. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it said this. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And may I say, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. That word terrible really be better defined and is more accurately said as terrifying. Terrifying. But you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about if you never allow God's holiness to become common. If you keep God's holiness from becoming common in your life. If you strive after the awe of God. Nothing to worry about. Everything to embrace. 
right? You have nothing to worry about if you embrace God's holiness and you run toward his heart. If you run after his heart and you desire for his heart to beat in you, you desire for your life to line up with his. Why? Because if God's holiness demands a punishment for our judgment, God's holiness demands a love for those who are striving to be his children. See, there's great rewards from the holiness of God. Great rewards in a relationship with God. Yes, his holiness might be terrifying, but man, his holiness is something to be cherished. And his holiness is something to embrace. Because if you're striving to be a child of the living God, his holiness demands his love to be displayed into your heart. So I want to encourage you today. Let's be these people out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not like those who are turning away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. That's what I desire for every person at New Life, for everyone that's hearing my voice right now, for people that live in the North Platte area, for people that live in the Kearney area, that we would not be a group of people that are headed for destruction out of our own naivety and of our own ignorance and of our loss of pursuing the holiness of God, which makes God common and we start insulting his holiness by our own actions, but yet we would be part of the faithful ones who are being saved. And that being saved is possible only by the sake of one, Jesus, coming in the form of a babe, living his life and giving his his entire life on the cross 33 years later so that the blood covenant, the price of his life would be paid as a holy sacrifice without blemish and without sin, holy, perfect, beyond anything you've ever seen or imagined before so that we might stand with God, before God, and God might look at us and go, you are holy like I am holy because of Jesus. So God may have come in the form of an innocent baby, but don't mistake the innocence of a baby as anything less than his holiness today. Let's have hearts that surrender to God. Our worship team is going to be coming in just a moment. And when they come, what I want to leave you with and what I want you to practice out of Hebrews chapter 10 in this next moment is verse 22. And it says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. You can fully trust God. Why? Because he's holy. You can run into his presence with joy in your heart. You can come before him with a security, knowing that God is going to love you and embrace you right where you're at because of the price of Christ. You can run to God and say, God, you're the only one I can trust. You're the only one I can run after. You're the only one that I can put my hope in. You can do that even today during this time of worship, and you can lift up his name, because when you proclaim the name of Jesus, you are proclaiming the name of holiness. When you proclaim the name of Jesus, you are proclaiming the name of perfection. And when you're proclaiming that God reigns and rules on his throne, you couldn't be more right. God is securely on his throne, and there's nothing blemished about him that can dethrone him. Nothing will remove him from that throne. He's securely on the throne in heaven, and he wants to be on the throne of your heart. May God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May it come in your heart today. May the King of kings and the Lord of lords rule and reign inside of you. He's not just a babe that came in his innocence, but that innocence points to his perfection and his holiness today. So I want to invite you to stand with me as we press in to the holiness of God. Father, We thank you. We thank you that you are perfect and matchless to none. 
Lord, we thank you that your love is extraordinary and is not common among men. It's not common in the universe. You are holy and there's nothing else that compares to you. And that yes, Lord, your holiness is terrifying. But it's only terrifying to those who are bent on destruction, bent on living their lives absent of you, bent on doing life the way they think should be lived versus what your word says. So today, God, there is great hope. There's great hope for those who are striving after you. There's great hope for those that are hungering after you. There's great hope for those who are wanting to lay their lives down and let you be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That your holiness would come and it would rule in our hearts. It is the great gift, the season. May we never forget that in the form of a baby you displayed your character and your nature. But may we never equate the innocence of a baby to the, to the ferocious holiness that you have. So we come before you, humbling our lives, laying our hearts down to worship you with everything inside of us. And we declare that you are holy above all things and that your name is worthy to be praised. And everyone said, amen.